listening to the podcast 82488. The thought of this eight-year-old boy in so much pain that he needed to bash his head against steel. And the sound of that pain, the pounding again and again, the persistence, the increasing insistence. Each thud set off vibrations that reverberated and built into something corporeal with form and mass. It traveled through me. I felt it rumble against my skin, jolting my insides and demanding my heart to match its rhythm, to beat faster, harder. And that was a selection from today's novel, Miracle Creek, by author Angie Kim. Page 8. Much he does the only thing he can for relief. He bangs his head, using the new acute pain to drive out the old one. It's like having an itch you can't stand and scratching so hard it bleeds. How good that pain feels, except multiplied by a hundred. Once, she told me, TJ put his face through a window. It tormented me. The thought of this eight-year-old boy in so much pain that he needed to bash his head against steel. And the sound of that pain, the pounding, again and again, the persistence, the increasing insistence. Each thud set off vibrations that reverberated and built into something corporeal with form and mass. It traveled through me. I felt it rumble against my skin, jolting my insides and demanding my heart to match its rhythm, to beat faster, harder. I had to make it stop. That's my excuse for running out of the barn and leaving six people trapped in a sealed chamber. I wanted to depress her eyes and open it, get TJ out of there, but I didn't know how. Besides, when the intercom buzzed, TJ's mother begged me, or rather Pac, not to stop the dive. She'd calm him down. But please, for the love of God, put in new batteries and restart the Barney DVD now. There were batteries somewhere in our house next door. Only a 20-second run away. And I had five minutes to turn off the oxygen. So I left. I covered my mouth to muffle my voice and said in a low, heavily accented voice like Pox, we will replace batteries. Wait a few minutes. Then I ran out. The door to our house was ajar, and I felt a flash of wild hope that Mary was home, cleaning up like I'd told her to. And finally, something would go right today. But I stepped in, and she wasn't there. I was alone, with no idea where the batteries were and no one to help. It was what 
I'd expected all along. Yet that second of hope had been enough to shoot my expectations high into the sky and send them crashing down. Keep calm, I told myself, and started my search in the gray steel wardrobe we used for storage. Coats, manuals, cords, no batteries. When I slammed the door, the wardrobe wobbled, its flimsy metal warbling and booming like an echo of TJ's pounding. I pictured his head hammering steel, cracking open like a ripe watermelon. I shook my head to expel the thought. Mehia, I yelled out, Mary's Korean name, which she hates. No answer. I knew there wouldn't be, but it infuriated me just the same. I yelled, Mehia, again, louder. Page 24. Boy, could he. He could go on at length about it. How Janine staged it perfectly, inviting him to dinner at her parents' house without one word about the U's or H-Bot. Or, worst of all, Matt's expected contribute a freaking ambush. I met Pac at my in-law's house last year. Matt said to Abe, they're family friends. My father-in-law and Pac's father are from the same Korean village. Anyway, I learned that Pac was starting an H-Bot business and my father-in-law was investing in that. They'd all been sitting around the dinner table and the youths had hurried to stand when Matt walked in. As if he were royalty, Pac looked nervous. The sharp angles of his face accentuated by his tight smile. And when he gripped Matt's hand for a handshake, his knuckles bulged into jagged peaks. Young, his wife, had bowed slightly, eyes downcast. Mary, their 16-year-old, was a copy of her mother, with eyes that looked too big for her delicate face. But she smiled easily mischievously, as if she knew a secret and couldn't wait to see his reaction when he found out, which, of course, was exactly what was about to happen. As soon as Matt sat down, Pac said, Do you know H-Bot? Those words were like the cue for a well-rehearsed performance. Everyone converged around Matt, leaning in conspiratorially and spoke in turns without pause. Matt's father-in-law said how popular this was with his Asian acupuncture clients. Japan and Korea had wellness centers with infrared saunas and H-Bot. Matt's mother-in-law said Pac had years of H-Bot experience in Seoul. Janine said recent research showed H-Bot to be a promising treatment for numerous chronic diseases.
did he know? What was your reaction to this business? Abe asked. Matt saw Janine put her thumb in her mouth and gnash at the flesh around her nails. Something she did when she was nervous. The same thing she did at that dinner. No doubt because she knew exactly what he'd think. What all their hospital friends would think. Total crap. Another of her father's alternative holistic therapies that desperate, stupid, and crazy patients got duped into. Matt never said this, of course. Mr. Cho had disapproved of Matt enough, merely for not being Korean. If he found out that Matt regarded his whole profession, all of Eastern medicine, really as bullshit, no, that would not be good, which was why. Page 88. A very small possibility. And Elizabeth prevented that, made sure that couldn't come close to happening. Isn't that right? Matt sighed. Yes, he had to say. He waited for the logical next question. If Elizabeth wanted Henry dead, wouldn't it have been easier to say nothing about the peanut butter? No, he'd say, and point out again that there was no real risk of Henry dying from that, and certainly no guarantee, like when a freaking fireball exploded in your face. But Shannon didn't ask the question. She looked from the jury to Elizabeth with her gentle auntie face, waiting for them to arrive at that conclusion on their own, and Matt could see the jurors' faces softening. He could see them looking at Elizabeth, her still stoic face, wondering if maybe it wasn't that she was cold and uncaring, but just tired, too tired to move a muscle. As if to accentuate this theme, Shannon said, Doctor, you've told Elizabeth she's the most devoted mother you've ever met, right? True, he said that, but he'd meant it as criticism, telling her to ease up for God's sake, to tell her she'd gone beyond helicoptering to direct controlling, puppeteer parenting. But what could he say? Yes, I said that, but I was being sarcastic because I hate devoted mothers. Yes, he finally said. I thought she spent a lot of effort acting like she was devoted to Henry. Shannon gazed at him, the corners of her mouth turning upward slowly as if she'd just figured out something. Shannon gazed at him, the corners of her mouth turning upward slowly as if she'd just figured something out. Doctor, I'm curious. Do you like Elizabeth? I mean, before the accident, did you ever like her? Matt marveled at that. Shannon's brilliance at that moment, asking a question with no good answer. Yes, I liked her. Would continue Elizabeth's humanization. And no, 
I never did would make him look biased. I didn't really know her too well, he finally said. Shannon smiled, the forgiving smile of a mother who's decided to let slide a toddler's obvious lie. What about? She scanned the gallery, the way stand-up comics scan the audience for victims. Pak you. Do you think he liked Elizabeth? Something about this question made Matt flinch. Maybe it was Shannon's tone, too casual, deliberately so, as if the question were a throwaway, as if she couldn't care less about the answer, only that she got to bring up Pac at an unexpected moment, in an unexpected way. The End Miracle Creek Angie Kim From the Flight of Literature, you will find a story that touches your soul. Please support the authors in this show by viewing the books on the website 82488.com. That's numbers 8, 